Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do a great job. You can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a great guest for today's show, including Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll continue our discussion of contrasting liberal and conservative judges on the Supreme Court. We'll visit with Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. We'll also visit with Professor Larry Bell, a Dodd professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, and author of several books, his latest, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. It is August the 11th, and on this day in 1965, in predominantly black Watts neighborhood of Los Angeles, racial tension reaches a breaking point after two white police, uh, policemen scuffle with a black motorist suspected of drunken driving. A crowd of spectators gathered near the corner of Avalon Boulevard and 116th Street to watch the arrest and soon grew angry by what they believed to be yet another incident of racially motivated abuse by the police. An uprising soon began, spurred by residents of Watts who were embittered after years of economic and political isolation. The rioters eventually ranged over a 50-mile square area of south-central Los Angeles, looting stores and torching buildings as snipers fired as at police and firefighters. Finally, with the assistance of thousands of National Guardsmen, the violence was quelled on August the 16th. The five days of violence left 34 dead, 1,032 injured, nearly 4,000 arrested, and $40 million worth of property destroyed. The Watts Rebellion, also known as the Watts Riots or the Rots Watts Uprising, foreshadowed many of the rebellions to occur in ensuing years, including the 1967 Detroit's riots and Newark riots in 1967 as well. And of course, we're seeing some of the same things back last summer. Hopefully, they won't occur uh, this summer, although they already have, haven't they, uh, with the prayer meeting that was disrupted. I don't know if you have a chance to watch uh, the MyPillow CEO, Mike Lindell, commenced a three-day cyber symposium yesterday, an event to shed light on voter fraud, voter fraud in 2015. 20 in the presidential election. It's not just voter fraud. It's also uh, how the Chinese meddled with our elections. In fact, greatly influenced our elections. Uh, RSBN uh, began live streaming the event at 9 a.m. yesterday, Central Time, and it will continue this morning and go through Thursday. It's really a terrific event. There's a big event that was supposed to occur last night at 7 o'clock, but that it had trouble getting started because. Uh, Tina Peters, the Mesa County Colorado clerk and recorder, was supposed to break some explosive news, but apparently while she was in flight to uh, South Dakota, her office was raided uh, by the probably Secretary of State of Colorado. In any event, intimidation ensues, and uh, the big news that she was supposed to break, she came out and she talked to the crowd, but the big news she was supposed to break is going to have to wait until Thursday. So I'm watching this, Linda and I are watching this, and I encourage you to watch this as well. I tried to go to uh, Frank's speech to see if it was still up, but they're saying but because of hacks, they're not covering it on Frank's speech. But it's, it is being covered by a couple of other never, networks, and I hope you'll just check out the you know, 
Cyber Symposium, Mike Lindell's Cyber Symposium, and find a place to watch it. It is excellent. It's going 24-7, actually. And there is a, a movie that attends it that's uh, really outstanding. Well, as you probably know by now, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo uh, announced uh, yesterday he'll resign effective in 14 days after allegations of sexual harassment that were detailed in a state attorney general's report last week. His resignation comes at the New York Assembly stated deliberations Monday on the impeachment inquiry into the conduct, and as top Democrat officials, including President Joe Biden, called on him to resign. The irony of that, huh? Joe Biden calling him to resign. The best way I can help right now is if I step aside and let government get back to government, Cuomo said in a televised speech. But Cuomo said he did not intentionally show disrespect towards any female staffers or women, asserting that the claims were against him were politically motivated. An impeachment, however, would thrust New York into a state of turmoil for months, the three-term governor said, explaining that that's why he's resigning. Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul, a 62-year-old Democrat and former member of Congress, will become the state's 57th governor and the first woman to head a New York state. Well, of course, former staffer Tara Reid, who last year accused Joe Biden of sexually assaulting her in 1993, commented on uh, this uh, Andrew Cuomo's resignation amidst his sexual harassment scandal, slamming times up for uh, reporting aiding the governor in discrediting one of my accusers, one of his accusers. My heart is with the brave Cuomo survivors who endured attempts to discredit them like I did coming forward about Joe Biden with the help of nonprofits that were supposed to help women like Time's Up, she told Fox News. Maybe there will be some measure of justice for the, for the survivors. Now let's call for a real investigation into Joe Biden, she said, and expose the corruption protecting powerful predators. She added, I hope for justice Cuomo resigned today and Biden should also resign. <clears throat> By the way, Time's Up is an organization that supports uh, women who have been uh, uh, molested or attacked by, uh, abused by uh, re- elected officials. It's, uh, they claim they're not going to support Tara Reid because uh, he was running for office and they didn't want to have that political influence. So anyhow, Biden, quite frankly, for multiple of reasons, should resign, in my opinion. Uh, the Senate on Tuesday moved to pass the $1.2 trillion White House-backed infrastructure bill after weeks of debate, although it's not clear whether the bill will advance in the Democrat-controlled House. The measure called for the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, <laughs> what a misnomer, was hashed out by a bipartisan group of senators and Joe Biden's administration. The bill, which passed 69 to 30, will include $550 billion in new federal spending, over five years, hey, it's only money. Holy mackerel, that's a lot of tamales. The 2,700-long uh, bill, page bill, invests $110 billion towards roads, bridges, and major projects, provides some $66 billion to passenger and freight ma- rail, $65 billion to rebuild the electric grid, $65 billion to expand broadband internet lines, and $55 billion for water pipes, including replacing lead pipes and more. Republicans, including Mitch McDonald, McDonald have, uh, McConnell, have shared criticized, sharply criticized the bill and Democrats' proposed tactic of using reconciliation without GOP support. Now, this is about the $3.5 trillion measure. In remarks Monday, McConnell said that if Democrats try to pass the measure via, via 
reconciliation with no bipartisan support, the GOP won't back a plan to raise the U.S. debt and the debt ceiling, which, by the way, the, the date for that has already passed, so we're in these special measures right now in order to deal with uh, the debt that's coming due and has to be paid, uh, interest payments and so forth. <clears throat> Big deal, because it could ruin the credit of the United States if we don't pay. Texas House Speaker Dade Fellon on Tuesday signed our arrest warrants for the 52 State House Democrats who absented themselves from legislative business in order to block Republican-led election reforms, that according to the Dallas Morning News. Early in the day, the Texas House of Representatives voted 80 to 12 to bring back the wayward Democrats. Uh, hours prior to the vote, the Texas Supreme Court ruled that the Republicans were within their rights to force their colleagues to return. Last week, Abbott announced that he, w- he had ordered another special legislative session for the month of August that's intended to pass the voting overhaul bill, among other measures. Unlike other states, which have rules that require a majority of quorum to, st- to start a legislative session, Texas legislature requires a two-thirds supermajority to uh, call session. So uh, when they come back, they're going to be arrested. I think that's good news. Well, the U.S. funded a project. This is a sad story. Unbelievable story. The U.S. funded a project that collects body parts from aborted babies, some of them apparently alive moments before their organs had been harvested. This, according to new documents, prompting claims that the conspiracy theorists have been vindicated. The Health Department of Human Services has been awarded at least $2.7 million to a University of Pittsburgh program that sought to create a tissue hub sourced from the uh, aborted feces ranging from 6 to 42 weeks gestation. 42 weeks equals more than 10 months of pregnancy. That's unbelievable. This, of course, this details about the program emerged after conservative watchdog group Judicial Watch, and they are terrific, and the Center for Medical Progress obtained 252 pages of documents as part of a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit against the HHS, or Health and Human Services. It's the uh, 2015 grant application to the HHS, the University of Pittsburgh explained, that it had been collecting fetal tissue for over 10 years, including liver, heart, gonads, legs, bregs, brain, uh, tissues of all sorts, including kidneys and bladders. This is uh, just unbelievable. And uh, these babies, they need to have blood running through the tissue in order for it to be useful, apparently. So the babies were alive. Unbelievable. Can't believe that this could happen. It should stop immediately. Center for uh, Medical Progress noted Allegheny County, the region from which the university sources fetuses or harvesting, is 80% white and 13% black, about the lines of the United States population. Wish we had more time on this story, but it, it is incredible. Uh, I forgot where I where I sourced this thing, but it's uh, <clears throat> pretty incredible. Very sad in our society. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Uh, 
I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking uh, platform, and I hope you'll check it out. You can download the app by visiting choicesocial.us, the website choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. Bob is a chairman of the Cato Institute. He's an author, and he's also a constitutional scholar. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always great to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and devoted to private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Well, thank you, Bob. Uh, we want to uh, pick up on the conversation that we were having about the differences between liberal and conservative judges, judges, especially in the Supreme Court, and especially as they apply to the Constitution. So. Both the Democrats and the Republicans were able to appoint judges by uh, only by rescinding the filibuster rules, which require 60 Senate votes to confirm. Was that a good idea? Well, you know, during the Gorsuch and Kavanaugh confirmations, the Republicans had fewer than 60 Senate votes, so the Democrats could have, uh, under the old rules, could have prolonged debate and refused the floor vote and effectively rejected both nominees. So to circumvent that problem, the Republicans went, uh, terms went nuclear and changed the filibuster rules so that only 51 votes were required to uh, shut down debate. But remember that former majority leader, Democrat Harry Reid, had done the same thing 
uh, when the Dems uh, control the Senate, except the Democrats have retained uh, the 60-vote requirement for Supreme Court justices, and now the, that's going gone. So my my view of the matter is that the, the gripe against the filibuster is that it's undemocratic because it stifles majority rule, and I think that misses the point. Uh, we're a republic. We're not a democracy. Our constitution is intentionally undemocratic, and the the framers were concerned about uh, tyranny by the majority, and uh, they had good reason to be uh, concerned. And the filibuster is a partial counterweight to that, and it helps ensure that we have some semblance of bipartisanship in uh, in legislation. The Constitution, you know, expressly limits majority rule. We have limited federal powers. We have two senators from each state, the Electoral College, uh, the Bill of Rights, and, uh, and then their specific requirements for two-thirds votes to do things like propose constitutional amendments and override vetoes and approve treaties and impeach the president. Uh, so the, the filibuster may be undemocratic, but that's precisely why we have it. Yeah. Good point. So, on balance, would you vote to continue the filibuster? Yes. Uh, without the filibuster, we'd be, I think, laboring under a federal government that's uh, even larger than today's uh, behemoth. And thanks to the filibuster, uh, senators occasionally throw a you know a few grains of sand into the ever grinding wheels of the regulatory and redistributive state. You know, I remember Milton Friedman captured the point when he said. I just shudder at what would happen to uh, freedom in this country if the government were ever efficient. So he was right. Uh, the filibuster is a valuable safeguard, and we'd be better off if it was codified as part of the Constitution, especially for votes on uh, significant expenditures and tax increases, and also for confirmation of federal judges who, who have lifetime tenure on the bench. Uh, until we establish term limits for judges, which I think would be a good idea, uh, it's little enough to insist that these lifetime appointees be approved by uh, 60 senators. Yeah, well, to your point about it not being in the Constitution, these are Senate rules. Right. Uh, regular order, I guess it's called. Uh, has the Supreme Court ever looked at this? Well, the Supreme Court <clears throat> hasn't specifically said the filibuster is legal or illegal, but, the, of course, the Constitution expressly provides that the, each House... <clears throat> Uh, can dictate its own rules. Now, bear in mind, each House cannot say that it takes 60 votes to pass uh, legislation. What they can say is it takes 60 votes to close off debate, uh -huh. because that's a procedural issue and not a, an issue that affects the number of senators required to pass legislation. Ah, okay. So, uh, in addition to that, the uh, Democrats... Uh, are proposing legislation, I believe it's legislation, for the appointment of 70, 77 additional new federal judges. Is this a good idea? Um, this comes from a, a pair of uh, senators, one Democrat and one Republican, Todd Young, the Republican from Indiana, and Chris Coons from Delaware, the Democrat. Um, this is uh, 77 new seats in 13 states. Now, most of those, a lot of those are in Texas, California, and Florida. And this matches uh, the judiciary's recommendations. They've been arguing for a long time for more seats. And what it does to avoid uh, the uh, political controversy is it splits these new judgeships between 2025, that is after the 2024 election, 
And then again, 2029, which is after the 28th hmm. election. And that, of course, is intended to sidestep uh, partisan concerns. So is it a good idea? Well, you know, it's the first expansion since uh, 1990, so we're talking over 30 years, and it targets courts that have the highest caseloads um, per existing judgeship. These, some of these civil cases now are taking years to come up uh, before the judge. And uh, I think, uh, interestingly, the Democrats are the ones who are pushing back on this. Uh, and their, their gripe is that this delay and staggering the effective dates limits Biden's ability to uh, diversify the bench because, after all, Trump appointed 230 uh, judges who were mostly white and mostly male. So I, I'd say, yes, this is a good idea, and the, the, the delay and the staggering dates is a good way to uh, minimize the uh, partisan outcry. Well, thank you, Bob. Just as a footnote to this discussion, uh, apparently I read that the Biden has appointed more federal judges through this point in his uh, administration than any other president in the history of the United States. So <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, I know that everybody talks about the, the amount that uh, Trump appointed, but uh, Biden right now is on pace to exceed that. So, so interesting. Yeah. So uh, let's see, you, you brought up Bill of Rights. Let's move to uh, Collier County proposing a Bill of Rights Sanctuary Ordinance. Uh, that didn't pass, but it's a great discussion. What controls the relationship between the federal government on the one hand and state and local governments on the other? Yeah, this, this ordinance, by the way, is that any federal act, law, order, rule, or regulation which violates, restricts, impedes, or impinges upon an individual's constitutional rights is declared by Collier County, if this ordinance were to pass, declared null, void, and no effect uh, in Collier County. Now, it, it did not pass as an ordinance, but it did pass as a resolution. And the difference there is an ordinance has the force of law. A resolution simply says it's the sense of the county commissioners, but it's not legally uh, binding. So to your question about the relationship, <clears throat> between the feds and the states, the, the important um, provision is the Tenth Amendment. It provides that the federal government has only the powers that are enumer enumerated and and delegated to the feds in the Constitution. All the other powers are reserved to the states or uh, directly to the people. So, unfortunately, we, you know, we discovered over 70 years that the states sometimes mis misbehaved as well, slavery being uh, the obvious case. But don't forget... School, school segregation and gun bans and other rights violations. So that gave rise to the 14th Amendment after the Civil War, which granted the, uh, the feds an important new power, and that is that any time a state violates our constitutional rights, either Congress or the federal courts can step in and invalidate the uh, state law. And then, of course, there's also the Supremacy Clause in Article Six of the Constitution, which says that federal law is the supreme law of the land, no matter what state law says. Uh, the Supremacy Clause provides that judges in every state shall be bound uh, thereby. So interesting. Bob, I want to pick up this conversation next week. I really appreciate the commentary here on the show, especially interesting. Uh, again, cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Andrew Joppa. He's the author of a terrific read. It's called Josephus of Oz. 
We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshire Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit gulfshoreplayhouse.org. That's gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. And you can find out more by visiting thefga.org. They create, among other things, policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So uh, we usually our discussions stay uh, back from politics and more around culture. Uh, where do you think we are right now? Well, I, I think we're on the downside of, <clears throat> excuse me, of, of culture in the sense that uh, I think we we peaked perhaps 30 or 40 years ago, and right now our culture is disintegrating. We've uh, we've given up on the best aspects and added in a lot of ingredients that are that are weaker. Let, let me just, for your sake of your listeners, let me just give some of my background in terms of culture. I, I spent a lot of my time in corporate uh, consulting, dealing with changing the cultures cultures of organizations. My, my first involvement was with, with satellite business systems, one of the very earliest companies to be harvesting communication through, through satellites. I also uh, did, did work with Credit Suisse in America and uh, was dealing, again, with uh, changing the culture of 
of Swiss-based managers into more of an American model. So I, I have a deep historical uh, involvement with culture. And uh, I think, as, as we've said many times on this show, everything is downstream from culture to, uh, to quote the, the Breitbart, Breitbart people. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think our culture is disintegrating right now, Bob. Yeah. So uh, what do you think? What, what are some of the reasons? Well, I think there's, there's been an intentional assault on it that's been uh, highly organized. And I, I, I hate to frame this all within a Marxist philosophy, but it is what it is, Bob. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what you see in Marxist philosophy is an essential need to destroy uh, the history of a country, the, uh, the, the background that provided unity, and uh, that is all contained within culture. And, and what we're seeing now through the public schools uh, extended into the universities. And let me just make the point right now, as long as we're there, if we look even at the military academies right now, uh, <clears throat> all too many of the faculty at the military academies, the Air Force Academy, West Point, and the Naval Academy, are, are civilian. And these civilians are not in any way dedicated to producing uh, the military mindset. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have them, they go in there and they're there as uh, within any elite college. Uh, they talk Marxism, they talk communism, and not just to describe them academically, but to, uh, to uh, espouse their value. And, and so you look at the military academies, and it's, it's always been said, if you want to see the military 10 years from today, first look at the military academies and what's going on right, right now. And if we explore the military academies, the culture of those academies is disintegrating primarily to a large extent because of the dramatically large introduction of civilian academics into those three environments, Bob. I wasn't aware of that. That's so interesting. And uh, I wasn't aware that civilians were actually teaching, although that makes sense. Most of the, most of the aren't they uh, pretty much all going towards engineering degrees, the, uh, the students at the academies? There are two, you know, there are two reasons that uh, this is happening. First of all, the uh, the liberal arts courses are still being taught, and those are mostly staffed by by civilians. Uh, with the growing specificity in terms of engineering and technology in general, they're they're having to bring in more outside civilian specialists. Now, those classes should not lend themselves to being propagandized, but they have been. Uh, if we go to any university, uh, elite university, uh, the engineering courses are populated with a constant uh, inclusion of propagandized attack on the American system. And that is happening right now in the, in the, uh, in the, uh, the naval, in the uh, military academies, Bob. That's so interesting. And of course, we're, we're seeing uh, all kinds of things going on, uh, f critical race theory being taught and uh, encouraged in the military. Um, now uh, requiring, not, you know, the uh, cadets themselves having to give up their personal medical privacy and they all have to get jabbed with the uh, vaccine so uh, I just wonder about the preparation that we currently have for war or for engagements with the communist Chinese and others well I, I think that that is uh, even uh, doesn't even show up on the radar in in many of the military areas uh, it's certainly uh, being woke and being uh, committed to uh, diversity and and all all that that uh, contains uh, is the major focus. Uh, there are some. Uh, uh, there's an interesting book out right now that I'm halfway through. It's called Stand Down. It's written by a military ex-military officer 
who discusses the implication of, uh, look, just as one example, the, uh, the uh, introduction of, of transgenders into the military. And he goes out of his way to say he has absolutely no problem with transgenders, and, and I have no problem with them. But he talks about military readiness and preparation that involves the necessary inclusion of transgenders in battlefield situations. It makes it almost impossible. Uh, and that's already been conceded that it, it, uh, the military phrase this, Bob, that transgender uh, introductions into the military do very little to damage military readiness. But it does damage military readiness. <clears throat> uh, so we're seeing that kind of uh, measured process where uh, these things are not just uh, inappropriate uh, in a military environment, but can be measured as, in fact, seriously damaging uh, readiness, which translates in a, in a true uh, military uh, battlefield situation into lost American lives. Uh, but again, they're, they're willing to do that. Uh, to uh, fulfill the the political ideologies of of, of cultural relativism. Bob. Yeah, my understanding is the military has always been the uh, it was the very first place where the color, uh, sex, all those things didn't matter to the military. What counted was your readiness and to be able to stand with your uh, fellow uh, soldiers in order to to get the job done. And uh, now to have them focused on these distracting uh, issues quite frankly, cannot help them serve well, it won't serve them well when, it, when, it, when it's time for, uh, you know, confronting uh, others in battle. Well, it, it reminds me back in 1967 when I was in uh, Westover Air Force Base and the, <clears throat> the head of my, my barracks unit was an African-American, and when he said jump, we'd say, how high, sir? Uh, there was absolutely no resistance at all. My best friend in Vietnam was a fellow named Johnny Tidwell from Louisiana, an African-American. Uh, so there, there was this feeling. And by the way, I was in Vietnam when Martin Luther King was uh, was assassinated. And, and all of the, the whites on the base commiserated with the, with the African-American troops. So if we go back, this is now 60 years, my birth almost 60 years, uh, and essentially there, there were no problems. And I think right now we're seeing more problems in the military that are based on gender and race uh, than we've ever seen before. These are not just concepts that expose a problem. I think the concepts that have been introduced create a problem, Bob. Yeah. So uh, you, you sent me a note that suggested that we've moved away from the 5,000-year model of rational meritocracy into a model of feel-good diversity. Interesting comment. Uh, can you tell us some thoughts behind that. Well, it's, it's something I'm working on for, uh, for an extended essay, but uh, as I consider what, it, what is really going on, not only with America, but I see it as worldwide, what has happened? Has humanity changed? And I, I, I'm coming up with a conclusion that humanity has always, in, in the totality of humanity, has not been very much in terms of rational thought, but there was always a 5% of who we, who I might consider the 5% of elite rationalists. And when those people were given the ability through, through meritocracy and uh, through a, a attainment, when they were given the decision-making roles, the world went forward, a nation went forward. Right now, we're seeing the rejection of meritocracy. And when merit goes out the window, it is not re, uh, replaced with mediocrity. It is replaced by the very low end of the human totem pole. And I think that's what we're seeing now. Not a change in humanity, but a change in how the leadership emerges 
uh, not only in the United States, but worldwide. Uh, so I think that is a very dangerous phenomenon uh, when we abandon the, uh, the meritocracy of rational thought uh, to the feel-good issue of diversity politically generated, Bob. Uh, so, and I agree with that 100%. I mean, uh, Thomas Jefferson was influenced by John Locke and other great thinkers of his, his time when he wrote the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, and it's, you know, uh, we hold these uh, truths to be self-evident that all men are created. You know, the, the whole thing, that just that one sentence, I think, says it all, and yet we've moved away from that affirmative action, all kinds of things that really get in the way of actually treating people equally and giving people having equal opportunity. Well, you, you mentioned affirmative action, which came into being in uh, 1972. And most people don't realize that affirmative action was, was created because equal employment opportunity did not work. Uh, I used to ask my classes, you know, what, which they were in favor of, e uh, equal employment opportunity, affirmative action. And they would say they're in favor of both. And I told them, you can't be in favor of both. Equal employment opportunity says the best person gets the job. Affirmative action says there'll be a statistical modeling, a norming, uh, where we'll provide jobs based on uh, representations in the population. And I think the, the issue of affirmative action uh, that took place uh, legally in 1972 has now become widespread where there's very little concern to the competency of people in jobs as long as there is statistical norming across the board. And I think we're seeing that uh, in every area of American institutional life, Bob. I think that's absolutely true, and hopefully the Supreme Court will, adjust, uh, will address this. I think they're already beginning to with regard to the Asians in Har at Harvard, so... Uh, that could they, they've been talking about addressing specifically affirmative action for years, but it never comes to a, uh, a fulfillment. But uh, let, let's hope, because I think if there's one thing that would matter uh, is that it, we have to get back to meritocracy. And, of course, right now the word merit itself has been uh, given the, the connotation of racism. In other words, it is automatically racist. Uh, to uh, to suggest that people should be hired or given promotion based on merit. Yeah. Uh, and when that becomes the prevailing cultural norm, getting back to culture again, Bob, uh, you're in serious trouble. And I think that's why America is in serious trouble. We have given up on merit yep. and gone to statistical norming in, uh, across the board, particularly in the STEM area, science, technology, engineering, uh, and mathematics. But uh, it's a serious, serious problem for this country. No question. So I want to just change the direction of the conversation. I don't know if, if you've had an opportunity to watch any of Mike Lindell's uh, uh, Cyber Warfare uh, Symposium, but it's been very interesting. I have been watching it, and it kind of brings to question about some of the issues around uh, the going into the elections of 2022 and 2024 uh, and January 6th. What are your thoughts? Well, I have been, I've been reading a little bit about the Lindell Symposium, but I have not watched it. I probably should, but I haven't had a chance to get to it. Uh, in keeping with that, so not changing topic, but just sort of uh, using that to leverage into another conversation, um, it's, it's been, uh, hasn't been reported, I think, with the full intensity it deserves, uh, but just uh, a week ago or so, six ships in the Gulf of Oman simultaneously lost their steering capacity. Six major tankers, huge cargo uh, oil tankers and cargo ships, lost their steering capability at the same time. Wow. It has also been suggested 
that the ship back in March, I believe it was, that went sideways in the Suez Canal had lost the ability to control the steering mechanism. So this is being defined as uh, an Iranian process of gaining the ability to launch cyber attacks, not only on the ships themselves, but on the loading uh, the loading docks. Last year, there were 500 reported cyber attacks on either the, the shipping vessels themselves or on the loading ports, the cranes, for example. Wow. So I think the issue of, of cyber attacks is, is, uh, is of growing importance. If we just stay with my specific frame of reference, one can only imagine if simultaneously the Panama Canal, the Suez Canal, the Gulf of Ramuz, and the Gulf of Oman were to be blocked uh, by large cargo ships. Uh, it would totally disrupt uh, uh, worldwide uh, uh, transportation, uh, which would include foodstuffs and all the vitals that are transported that, that way, Bob. So interesting. I, I was not aware of that, uh, Andy. That's such interesting in information. So, uh, you know, basically, the, Mike Lindell's, uh, he's saying you know, the election was stolen, yes, but it's, it's, it's this is a bipartisan issue. He says it was stolen by the communist Chinese, and uh, he shows the influence that the, uh, the uh, Dominion software and all the, those issues, how they created the opportunity, the window for this to happen. It's really, really fascinating, and I encourage our listeners to uh, to pay attention, especially on Thursday. If you can't make time, watch it on Thursday because it's going to be the final, the great finale and the great conclusion of, of the event that's going on in South Dakota. So, well, if, if we go back you know, even 20 or 30 years, there was a, a saying that existed, and I forget the exact form of it, but it said that uh, no computer system or technolo technology has ever been developed that a hacker couldn't intrude on. And I think that holds true even till today. With all the, the super security safeguards, the hackers are always going to be able to break through those safeguards. So uh, I think, uh, again, we've created a very fragile society, not only in terms of of voting, uh, but we've created a. And by the way, we talk about China and their their quantum computing and their dramatic uh, increases in quantum computing in in China, uh, and we're going to see ourselves extremely vulnerable. While at the same time, China has been developing uh, the technologies of cryptography, which would enable them to, uh, to the largest extent now, protect their technology or their computer uh, areas from being hacked by us. So we're looking at a simultaneously two-pronged situation where China is developing a heightened ability to penetrate and also a heightened ability to prevent theirs from being penetrated. Bob. And we're thinking about critical race theory. They're thinking about how do we uh, be, uh, extend our ability to attack and, def and also to defend ourselves. Uh, who wins under those circumstances? Well, I tell you, if that if those are the circumstances in their entirety, we lose, Bob. It's it's, it's as simple as that. You you can't be facing a major competent adversary as we see with with China, dedicated uh, to not world domination, but certainly to be the the major source of influence in the world, making almost everyone a. Uh, a de facto satellite state of their economic system and political system. Uh, I think that uh, with our focus being where it is, we cannot possibly win this win this battle, Bob. Yeah, I agree with that 100. percent So, well, any thoughts about January 6th? Now, Jan January 6th is, uh, is is some good news. Uh, some of the courts, in terms of uh, their decision rendering on the some of the people being tried for their involvement with the uh, the in quotations uh, the insurrection uh, have in fact been looking for for more meaningful documentation meaningful evidence so I, I think that's that's good news 
um, January 6th will continue to be the uh, the centerpiece of the, the, the Democrat movement. Um, they gave up because they had to in the area of, of collusion between Trump and, uh, and, um, and Russia. Uh, what we'll see as we get closer to 2022 and certainly 2024 uh, will be the, uh, the more dramatic highlighting of not just January 6th, but Trump as being the major instigating element of January 6th. Yeah. I think we'll see that particular element uh, uh, coming more to the to the forefront, Bob. I think that's absolutely true. Although I think uh, the uh, January 6th uh, conference or the, uh, the House committee is losing traction. I don't think it's gaining any popularity with the public. It's kind of a yawner, and it just makes me wonder how effective that's going to be. I, I hope that's true. And before we before we run out of time, let me just make a, a, a couple of remarks quickly about uh, about COVID nineteen. Uh, there's so much to talk about, but uh, there are two particularly um, uh, interesting elements that uh, I think uh, I think should be discussed. First of all, Fauci's comment uh, two or three days ago, uh, where he says, "Hopefully, masking up children will be temporary. Will be temporary enough to avoid lasting negative impact." In other words, Fauci is uh, giving um, acknowledgement to the fact that masking children will call, cause negative impact, and yet the masking uh, he sees is necessary, and he hopes, Bob, that it won't be long enough to really cause temp uh, permanent damage to children. I think that remark in itself should scare the heck out of, of anyone with children in the public school system. The other thing that is interesting, and uh, if it gains traction, will be of vital importance, uh, a report came out of the Federalist indicating that uh, by all scientific and medical measurements, there is no transmission of COVID-19 or the Delta variant unless the person is symptomatic. Now, right. right now, we have been driven to, uh, to, uh, to uh, guilt manifestations because we've been told that even if you don't have symptoms, you may still harbor the virus in your system and be able to transmit it. What this most recent report says, Bob, is that unless you're symptomatic, you cannot transmit the disease. That will totally interfere with the with the political uh, um, position that's being taken by the left. Absolutely. Uh, the statement that these PCR tests that were the gold standard for measuring uh, the, whether people are infected with the virus or not, it apparently has now been concluded that it's not effective, and therefore it's going to be discontinued. Why they're waiting until the first of the year, I have no idea. If something's not effective, why don't you discontinue it immediately? But irrespective, uh, how much false information has, has that produced in the last year and a half? Well, I mean, at, at this point, I think the majority of the public uh, that has, uh, that has a, a functioning brain understands that there's very little uh, that can be believed without subsequent or further research or in, in investment of your own time to, to document. Uh, there have been so many contradictions, so many uh, statements that we can see over a reasonable span of time have totally altered, particularly from Fauci. I think uh, if he was eliminated from the mix, uh, we, we might be getting someplace. Redfield seems to have a, a former uh, CDC director, Robert Redfield, uh, seems to have a meaningful grasp of reality uh, where he talks about the, uh, the, the unproven uh, effectiveness of masks, particularly in children. Right. Uh, and he, he's not a crazed person who's rejecting everything, but he seems to have a sense of balance about himself. I think we have to turn more to people like Redfield rather than Tony Fauci. 
Andy Jabba, again, author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Professor Larry Bell. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months, finally having exhausted all alternatives for pain management. Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Listen to the Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598 598- 3889, that's 598 3889, or send an email to bobharden at hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598 3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best, building a new performing arts center in downtown Naples. You can find out more by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also the author of 10 books, his latest, What Makes Humans Truly Exceptional. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, thanks so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure, Professor. And uh, your latest column in Newsmax, and by the way, the name of the column is On Point. You can find it at Newsmax.com. Devil Dances in Details of Democrat Infrastructure Deal. (laughs) Really interesting. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, I think a sad and alarming development yesterday when the uh, 19 Republican senators went with the Democrats and voted for this monstrosity of a bill, this uh, so-called infrastructure bill that has very little infrastructure in it, a whole lot of Green New Deal in it, and uh, I think it's just absolutely a disaster, uh, not just for the spending, which which is, uh, you know, originally was supposed to be a pay-for-itself pay deal, which 
clearly isn't. It's about a five hundred billion dollars over built this with a B uh, over over what it was supposed to cost. They 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 put in a bunch of you know voodoo gimmickry in it to make it look different, but it's nevertheless that's what it is. Mm-hmm. But uh, fundamentally, it's not just the spending, but it's it's a precedent for you know for for providing a whole lot of uh, leverage for electric you know vehicles which they're going to try to push down our throat and and uh you know for a big slush fund for cylinder revisited you know remember the Obama administration oh yeah and all these green energy uh you know you know the uh shovel ready what they were shoveling wasn't very some pretty smelly stuff and uh, <laughs> yeah. uh you know it's just just absolute nonsense and for the Republicans to buy into this, I think, is uh, really, really frightening in terms of uh, implications for the country. I do, too. And I guess the, the political motivation here is not to look like they're obstructionists, so they want to be able to participate in something bi- bipartisan. But the cost of this, of, of their political satisfaction, is enormous. And I just think about the whole premise of this Green New Deal of being so destructive uh, to uh, and and unhelpful. It'd be one thing if we were investing money that something, by the way, that we don't have, and something that was useful. But uh, as you've written in Scared Witless, the profits and profits of climate doom, uh, nothing good could come out out of this. Um, yeah, you know, overlay this other craziness that's going on. This, you know, they you know they're cranking up all this. Uh, oh my God! Oh my God! The, the planet's on fire again. You know, it is. It is every six years when the you know UN puts out its report and prepares for their Glasgow you know Compeb that's coming up next year and oh we we gotta you know we gotta we gotta pass the you know the Paris we gotta join the Paris Agreement and you know we we've gotta we've gotta kill our our energy independence uh, I guess independence for for hurting the planet while while China builds a equivalent of a new coal power plant every every week. And gets a pass, you know, for the next fifteen years. And, and meanwhile, we're going to put all these electric cars in the grid, and then they're going to we're going to get our we're going to get our uh, rare earth materials that we need for the batteries out, you know, from China that controls eighty percent of them. I mean, it's absolute insanity what's going on, and and uh, you know, hopefully things will change in twenty twenty two. But meanwhile, uh, you look at the damages being done. I mean, my God, the you know, the you know, the rush on the borders, you know, in the middle of a COVID issue where everybody's supposed to mask up and get a shot, but you lose, you let millions of uh, people from all over the world just kind of walk through our southern border and, yeah. and then, then, then put them on planes and fly them to Hawaii and in and, your and you know, neighborhood near you. That's absolute insanity that's going on in this country. And, and I think this infrastructure deal is... You know the the the, Dem- the Republicans better start holding together uh, because we're at a very pivotal point in our history right now. I, I totally agree. I thought it was interesting that the uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Control released its report just before the issue of this uh, infrastructure program came up here in the United States. Uh, I just can't help but hold th- think the whole thing was political. Well, the, the encouraging thing to me is. When I wrote my first book on this about a little over a dozen years ago, you know, I was very much, you know, the, the outlier in terms of uh, 
you know, the, you know the, the the politics on climate. You know, and that's when Al Gore was in his heyday and getting a Nobel Peace Prize, and, along with the IPCC and so on. And and uh, but now it's 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 one of these issues that uh, and and, it's, and the science is absolutely you know, absolutely distressingly corrupt. And in terms of in terms of uh, you know, I, I'm encouraged that the Wall Street Journal finally is, is and some of the other papers are finally exposing this for the for the sham it is because there's nothing in this report. You know, you know they're, they're they're having a hard time finding anything alarming in it. You know, in what was originally drafted, but the summary that this written is written by the politicians, and so the stuff that hits the media is 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 all the you know the you know the Alice in Wonderland stuff that they want to they want to put out. <laughs> but you know, I think the media is getting wise to this, and that and that uh, you know the basically there has been very very little change. For the past decades, in terms of any 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 statistical warming, and uh, you know the models uh, that are being you know revealed now, uh, everything's based upon these these crazy projections of the models, which which are demonstrably off by at least half, you know, at least twice half, at least twice exaggerated, and even IPCC when you when you get into the bowels of the report, you realize they're admitting it and. Uh, so, so there's nothing in there. There's nothing in there to be alarmed about. But you know, as you say, you know, there's there's so many. You know, they're pushing the you know the Paris Accord and, and the. <laughs> there's an article in the New York Times about you know, can can Democrats save the planet? You know, so it's it's really it's really Donald Trump and, and some of us bad guys that are that are, you know, that are you know, cooking cooking the planet. So I think more of that. Uh, the Democrats are cooking the books, and and, and uh, we we got to we you know we got to seriously uh, uh, begin to look at you know when you want to follow science. First of all, we need to be able to have have quote science that people can really have some confidence in, not something that's bought by the yard by politicians in in Washington where they throw out you know, research grants for anybody that can find a dead polar bear. It's got to <laughs> <laughs> We're totally losing credibility, and universities are big, big players in this. You know, you gotta, you gotta get these grants in order to get promoted, and once you get promoted, then you can, you know, you can get tenure, and then you can be a dean, and then you can hire some other people just like you. And it's it's just a circular, uh, circular deal. I mean, you know, I see it here at the University of Houston, and uh, but you know, I, I say that in the sense that. That my my university is certainly not immune from this, mm-hmm. and uh, but it, but it's a it's a national tragedy. It is indeed, Professor. This is a big week here for us. A big uh, let's say month coming up with uh, regard to not only the infrastructure deal, which is absurd in and of itself, but also uh, the th- the three point five million human infrastructure deal. Hopefully. Somehow, some way, wisdom will prevail, and uh, these things will fall to their own weight. I just really hope so. Well, I've I've, I've commented many times, and I'm you know in, in also my articles where the midterm elections are a different kind of animal than the, than the national because it's state and local issues, and uh, I think I think they have a different you know it's it's a different 
you can't you can't uh, cook the book. You can't uh, rig the polls on on you know nationwide. I think the the national election was you know, targeting just a few vulnerable swing state districts and so on. And but the midterms are different. They're they're broader. They're kitchen table issues. People can't avoid seeing the inflation. That's this in that's uh, just you know becoming so apparent. At the same time, we're seeing gas prices go up. Incredibly, then you know the Keystone Pipeline is cut, was shut off and, and drilling in Anwar, but but then the approval of the uh, uh, of the uh, you know the the Russian uh, German uh, pipeline. pipeline under the Baltic to connect Russia to to Germany. Germany's built all these windmills all over the place, but they're having blackouts, and so they they got to get natural gas from Russia. Yeah, the Nord Stream two pipeline, you know. It's, and, and our policy now is to support Russian oil to, and gasoline, you know, natural gas to Germany, and we cut off our own supply. Well, what's that going to do? What is it doing to New Mexico, where 30% of their income, state income, yeah. come, you know, comes from the oil fields? Unbelievable. So it's, uh, it's, I think we're going to have our day. I hope so, Professor. And I would like also uh, encourage our listeners to make sure they're listening or watching Mike Lindell's uh, 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 symposium on the elections in 2020. So uh, it's it's just really riveting good stuff, and take the time to find out more about it. Professor, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And Bob, I always enjoy the, and appreciate the uh, invitation. Thank you so much. My pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Tomorrow we have great guests lined up as well, including Bob Rommel, our state representative, Seton Motley, founder and president of Less Government, uh, former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, and Keith Flaw, the founder, of the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.